All right, let's get started. If you have a Bible, it's a good thing because we are starting a new series and we're going to be talking about the Bible. We are, um, let me just, let me throw a couple things out as we start this, uh, this new series. Uh, the teaching team and uh, a bunch of us get questions. Um, I get a lot of questions sometimes after sermons like, where did you get that? Or how did you find that out? Or I've never read the Bible that way. How do you read the Bible that way? I, I get some of those questions too which is cool because you're, you're engaged. You're, some of you are, are not asleep, and that's great. And uh, you're listening and, and all those kinds of things. But then I have conversations with people all the time. I get a cup of coffee with somebody. I, I run into somebody, whatever. And there's this feeling, there's this frustration with the Bible. And people who, they've chucked it. Uh, maybe they've grown up in church, and then they're like, wait a second, what is what is this all about? What's this part all about? How, did, how does this match with this? And, 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 and it's frustrating. Um, maybe you've heard a, a sermon that made you mad or an interpretation that bummed you out, and they've chucked it. They've read some blogs. And, and let, me just, let me just say, I, I think we have a problem with the Bible. I'm just, can I say that? Is that Okay. Are we okay with me saying that? Uh, well, I'm, well, no one's getting mad yet, right? I mean, I mean, today what I want to do is, is kind of walk through kind of why we have a problem with the Bible. And um, some of it is because I, my guess is we live in a digital age. We're on the go. We're used to 140 characters or less. So reading something for a sustained amount of time for some of us in the room is difficult. And might I dare say, not very enjoyable. And maybe you get distracted. Maybe you're like a lay-in-bed type of reader, and you try to open the Bible, and then you're so tired. Or, man, I could check the Baseball scores, or I don't know if anybody has that problem, or, uh, or, or read some news articles, and it's just hard to really engage in Scripture for a long time. And some of you, you just, you've, you've, you've chosen to follow Jesus, but you you've really haven't read the Bible, and it's just an interesting thing. Like, you're basing your life off of a book that you don't read. You know, that's the best-selling book of all time. I mean, they're saying something like 22 million copies a year are sold. And some, somebody once said it's probably the best-selling book that has never been read, right? Um, it's an interesting thing. I mean, you can get it in, like, leather, which is kind of wild, right? I mean, you can't really, probably can't get the Iliad in leather. I mean, maybe. You can get it in leather. There's a version for students, moms, graduates, Vietnam vets. I mean, you can get it in all these different, like, special, like, packaged versions. You can get it in a daily email verse of the day or on a radio station verse of the day. But that, that might not be your problem. Maybe you do read it. Uh, maybe you just don't know how to read it. And that's your problem with the Bible. It's like, how do I read this? Like, what do I take literally? What is literature? What's metaphor? What's, 
what's, what's culturally relevant, and it frustrates you. I mean, I'll just shoot straight with you. It's hard to read. It is. It's, it's not the Hunger Games, okay? Um, and some of you are like, I didn't even read that. I watched the movie, you know? And, um, it's 66 different books. There's a, a bunch of different authors. There's different styles and genres, and there's different language, and it spans a huge amount of time. How do I read this, right? Some of you, I'll just be honest with you, you're just like, I don't like it. <laughs> if I'm honest, I don't like it. I don't like uh, reading it. Um, and then some of you just take it to even a deeper issue is like, I have, I have an issue with the Bible. Like I take issue with parts of it and it taints other parts of it for me. So for instance, um, probably a generation or two, I mean, this is a generational thing. A generation or two ago, you could read the passage of Joshua and Jericho and, and come to the conclusion that God was on their side, that God is on our side, that God is for us, that God is uh, uh, against our enemies, and, and that's a really comforting thing. But the generation that's coming into uh, reading the Bible now is asking different questions. Because this, this story feels like genocide. This feels ugly and messy. And there's even women and children killed. And it seems to be that God is behind it. So I take issue with that, right? And then there's, there's some gnarly stuff all throughout the Bible. I mean, and it's not just in the Bible, it's in the people of God in the Bible, right? So polygamy, that's a fun one, right? Um, that's that's, that's pretty, pretty much in there. Um, incest and rape and sexism and racism and war and violence and revenge. It's, it's not just in the Bible, it's in the people of God in the Bible. So what do we do with that? For example, we got Abraham, who's like this hero of Genesis, this hero of faith. He's, he's, he's looked at even in the New Testament about this big deal, right? But he was a polygamist, a misogynist, and a liar. I mean, if you really get into the story of Abraham, you're like, whoa. Now, how about King David? I mean, he's the, the lion of Jesus. And there's the Goli David and Goliath thing, and he's this warrior, and it's really cool, and except for he was an adulterer and a war criminal and a murderer. And you get this crazy story about this, this woman who dresses up like a prostitute in Genesis. And, and if you've ever read this story, like if you just start at the beginning of Genesis, at some point you'll hit this story. I'm not gonna tell you where it is. It's just gonna be like, whoa, what the? She dresses up like a prostitute in order to deceive her father-in-law into having sex with her so that she could have a baby because he has promised her a new husband. And when he sees her, he has sex with her. She gets pregnant. <laughs> and then people are like, hey, 
your daughter-in-law is pregnant. And he's like, how could this be? She should be burned alive. And then she says, well, you, you want to know whose baby it is? It's yours. And he's like, oh, you got me. That's in there. That's like in the Bible. Okay? And, and so I'm kind of messing with you a little bit today. I, I want to stir some things up with you today. Because we have a problem with the Bible. And, and I think it's important for us to talk about these things. I mean, this is not stuff we're trying to hide, sweep under the rug, um, you know, minimize, uh, not talk about. Um, we've got all these questions that the Bible brings up, like, okay, is God totally in control of everything? Meaning he knows exactly everything that's gonna happen all the time throughout human history. And if he does, what are the consequences of that? Or do we have free will? As human, as human beings. And it seems to be that Scripture's telling us we do. So what is it? And it looks like there's different versions of this Bible, and there's, there's different things that happen in the Bible that are horrible. There's, there's different things that have come from people's interpretation of the Bible that I don't like. Mark Twain once said that the, inside the Bible is both the poison and the cure. And we can see that when we talk about things like slavery, right? It's been used to justify things in this world that are horrible, and yet at the same time, it's also been the cure for, I mean, William Wilberforce, I can't even really say it. Scripture was part of that cure. Not that it's cured. But we got weird parts like Mark 16, where people have interpreted Mark 16 that, has to do with snakes, right? And then if you go to the south, and sometimes you just, if you just bumble into some church somewhere in the south, there's gonna be snakes there as part of the deal. And it's weird. And, and then you've got these uh, fundamentalist, polygamous Mormons that read the Bible a certain way. And then you got this weird reading of James 5 that says you don't need a doctor. And you got this, what about this holy kiss thing in the New Testament? It's mentioned six times. Like, are we supposed to do that? Or do we just interpret it as being like a, like a holy side hug now, right? Like a holy... You know, and it's a, there's one Jewish professor that said this. He said, you Christians see the Bible as a message to proclaim. We Jews see it as a problem to be solved. It's messy, right? It's hard to understand. And there's a growing number of Christians that are starting to see the Bible as a liability rather than an asset. And... Um, I mean, people are asking the question, is the Bible even good for us anymore? Should we just cut ties with it and move on? Can we keep Jesus but ditch the Bible? I mean, these are really heavy questions, right? And my, my goal today is not to like give you all these things to get worried about and freaked out about and get angry about. My goal is to just really kind of begin to look at what we're, where we're headed in this series. Because ultimately, here's what we want. 
We are a church that believes in scripture as a, as a revelation of who God is. And it's important and it's authoritative and all these things. But, but so many of us have not given it the time of day. And I'll just ask a simple question. Why the Bible? Why read it? Why study it? Why live it? And here's my answer. Because we're followers of Jesus. Jesus was obsessed with the scriptures. Genesis to Malachi, Jesus had it memorized. He was way obsessed with it. He was a rabbi, which is a teacher. He was a professional Bible teacher. And if you call yourself an apprentice to Jesus of Nazareth, that the end goal of, of that for you and for me is the same thing. So in Matthew 5, 6 and 7, we were, we were in this a whole bunch this last spring. Jesus teaches this big, huge chunk of teaching we call the Sermon on the Mount. And in one particular part of this, near the beginning, he kind of gives us a clue, a taste of what he thinks about when he thinks about Scripture. And it goes like this. Verse 17, Matthew chapter 5. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, we, I preached about this back in February, this idea about practice. We talked about practicing um, what was taught. Um, we talked about how important that was. But it's amazing to me here what we see. We get a glimpse of what Jesus thinks about the law and the prophets, which is the Old Testament at the time, the collection of these works. Now, the first thing we need to know is, is we kind of start this whole series off as this, that to Jesus, the climax of the story, the whole story of the law and the prophets reaches its fulfillment in him. There's a very bold claim that Jesus made. And he's saying it all reaches this fulfillment right here in me. Now, a lot of times what, what people do is they read the Bible as this encyclopedia of truth. Like, like let's find some nugget of truth about uh, forgiveness. Or maybe there's a way in here I can find out God's will for my life. Or, or when I'm going to get married. Or, or what, what my life looks like. Or how I can make this world look the way I want it to look. And, and, and it's not an encyclopedia of truth. I mean, there is truth all throughout it. Don't get me wrong. But that's not how we read it. It's to be read as a story. A story that's long and drawn out narrative and it's about God and it's about human history and where it comes from and where it's going. It's a story that builds up to Jesus. His coming, his birth, his life, his teaching, his death and his resurrection. And so for Jesus, the climax of the story reaches fulfillment in him. The second thing is this. 
Jesus, to Jesus, the scriptures are trustworthy. Listen to verse 18. It says, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. That, that this thing has, uh, there, there's some trustworthy character to it. Now it's come under fire. It's always under fire, and especially the last century or two. Jesus Jesus, but Jesus never attacked uh, scripture or he, he just attacked people's reading of the Bible, not the Bible. So there's, there's a number of instances we'll get to in the next couple of weeks that, that Jesus has these debates with people who interpret things differently. So the problem was never the Bible, but it's somewhat how someone could misinterpret it. And the third thing that I think is really important is this. To Jesus, the Bible is authority. And that's a tricky word for us. He says this, whoever sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. That idea to set aside is, can be translated to break, to relax, or to ignore. And, and this is a tough one. This idea of, of understanding, uh, the word understand, it means to stand under, to, to have something give authority to our lives. Now, just to be clear, Jesus isn't some closed-minded fundamentalist. I mean, if we read on these verses, it's really cool. Um, it, starting in verse 20, 21, it says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be sub subject to judgment. So he's interpreting all these things that people know, these things that are quoted. He says, you have heard it said, uh, you shall not commit adultery. That's a quote from the Bible. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So this idea that Jesus goes through and he, 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 he brings this new understanding to the things that they've heard and read all throughout. And what's happening here? What is he doing this for? He's calling out all sorts of popular readings and misreadings of the Bible in the first century Jewish world, like things about marriage and things about sexuality and things about divorce and things about military violence. He's, he's calling all these things out. Now, some of you have grown up and you've kind of come through church and, and, and you've kind of maybe seen the bumper sticker that goes something like this. The Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Have you ever seen that one? Now, I'm gonna make fun of another bumper sticker today, and I don't want this put on my car like the last time I made fun of a bumper sticker. Do you remember that one? <laughs> that, that rapture bumper sticker? And I'm, I'm, I'm narrowing it down to who it was. I'm, I'm getting closer. But this one is, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. The problem is, is I don't think that would sit well with Jesus. And the reason is, is, is uh, probably not what you think. See, there's something very important missing here, and that's this idea of interpretation. Because in, there's a study of, there's something called hermeneutics, and that's the art and science of reading the Bible well. And how we read the Bible well is really important. Otherwise, you're greeting everybody with a holy kiss, and that's just super weird, right? I mean, it's just, don't do that. Here, maybe there's other churches that do that, but um, there's this three-step kind of approach to, to looking at Scripture. What does it say? What does it mean? And how do we live it out? And there's more to it than that. But, 
But if you misinterpret scripture, like I've told, like we talked about before, it can be some of the, the greatest evil ever perpetuated on this planet is the misinterpretation of scripture. So if you slap a bumper sticker on your car that says, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Um, what if you're in error? What if like Jesus, when, when he's, he's kind of combating with the Sadducees and the Pharisees, this one particular part, um, it's this crazy story where they try to get him. The Sadducees try to get him in this story um, about the law of leveret marriage. And the law of leveret marriage is, is if a, a woman is married to a man and then that man dies, um, in order to, to kind of keep the family lineage going, the, uh, a, a brother would step in and fulfill his duty as husband, right? And so they make this, this big old thing up and they're like, okay, Jesus, we got one for you. It's like, okay, here we go. And, and the Sadducees are like, well, if a woman dies and then the husband dies, well, the woman didn't die. The woman's still alive and the husband dies and then the next husband comes along and it's a brother and then he dies and, and it goes down for seven cycles, right? And then they're like, okay, well then who will, they, uh, who, who, who will be married in heaven together if that happens? And he's like, basically, you know what he says? He says, Oh, you don't get it, do you? Oh, you completely misread it. And that, it, that, that encounter happens all throughout Jesus' time with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And like I said before, that Mark Twain quote is so powerful that the Bible can be both the poison and the cure. Eugene Peterson says that Giving the Bible to some people is like giving keys to an adolescent, uh, uh, keys to the car to an adolescent. It's just like, whoa, I don't know if we should give you this. And so this is something that we wrestle with, that we read and we reread and we debate and we talk about together with humility and with skill and with an eye on church history and so on. And so for some of you in this room, that might freak you out. Some of you, we had a, we had a pub chat the other day and we talked about the Bible with the guys and, and some of the guys have a little bit more background with the Bible and some are like, listen, I'm kind of afraid to read it. It's kind of a big deal. Afraid I'm gonna screw it up. And some of the guys were like, you know, I'd rather just listen to you talk about it than read it. And what I'm telling you today is, I want you to read it. And when you get to that part, it seems ugly and messed up and something's wrong and you can't put two and two together. You know what I want you to do? I want you to keep reading. I want you to keep reading. I want you to talk about it. I want you to ask questions. I want you to ask questions in your own mind. I want you to ask questions of other people. I want you to wrestle with it. I want you to, to lay your biases aside. I want you to lay your agenda aside. Because what does it mean to follow Jesus? See, we really need to grapple with that today because in this week and really this season, because this is the beginning of something that's gonna take hold for a while in the life of this church. What does it look like to follow Jesus? Well, if Jesus loved scripture and if Jesus based his ministry off scripture and if Jesus uh, faced temptation using scripture and if Jesus has all authority and power, it says in Matthew 28, 
then we best be in Scripture. If we want to follow Jesus, become like Jesus, be with Jesus and do what he did in the world, we, we better start immersing ourselves in Scripture. I told you the story about Thomas Jefferson, right? How he'd pick and choose parts of the Bible that he liked, right? And so much so that he would actually cut chunks out of the Bible that he felt weren't relevant anymore, weren't good enough to do anymore. And, and the reality is, actually, I give Thomas Jefferson a little bit of credit. At least he was honest, right? Like, I don't like this. You just cut it out. Some of us don't do that, but we, we actually live that way. We actually live like we've cut things out. Like, as American, reading from our context, we could read the Bible from our American, we're going to talk about how we read the Bible in a couple weeks, but from our kind of American, consumeristic, really strong nation kind of perspective. And we could just ignore all the things that Jesus says about money and military violence really easily. And we could basically Thomas Jefferson this thing. So because we follow Jesus, we're going to lean into what it looks like to approach Scripture with the expectation, okay, hear this, with the expectation that it will radically shape you into becoming more like Jesus. That's what we want. That's what this word metamorphic means. When you read it, when you talk about it, when you expect God to do something in you through it, It will happen. This, this idea that Jesus came in the flesh, God with us, and that all authorities vested in Jesus, not the Bible. We don't worship the Bible. The, the Trinity isn't Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures. Scholars talk about how these are covenant documents. That when you enter a relationship with Jesus, and these, these documents aren't for everyone, but they're for us who are in a covenant relationship with Jesus. So to follow Jesus means to dig into this scripture. Let me finish with a quote and another verse here. A guy named Andrew Wilson wrote this great little book I know it's little. I mean, some of you could really do, you could, I mean, you could do this. You could, you could do it. It's a little one. He wrote this. He said, our trust in the Bible stems from our trust in Jesus Christ. I don't trust in Jesus because I trust the Bible. I trust the Bible because I trust in Jesus. I love him. I've decided to follow him, and if he talks and acts as if the Bible is trustworthy, authoritative, good, helpful, and powerful, I will too. Even if some of my questions remain unanswered or my answers remain unpopular. So here are the implications for us, church. Who do we want to be? We want to be a church community that kind of picks and chooses things we're going to talk about and not talk about? We want to be a church that 
leans in and is transformed as a community because of the pages of Scripture. And a number of months ago, I gave you the analogy of what this Sunday morning thing is. And I compared it between a movie theater and a Home Depot. I don't know if you guys remember this. A movie theater is kind of like, we're going to come see the show. You produce the show. We're going to come watch it. We're going to come listen to it. And we're going to leave and we're going to talk about if we liked it or didn't like it. Or what parts we liked and didn't like. And the chairs were, you know, whatever. But a Home Depot is different. Home Depot, is that, you know, their motto is, you can do it, we can help. That's what we want to be a community of. Some of you are like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can read the Bible. I don't know how to read the Bible. I don't know if I like what I'm reading here. You can do it. We can help. We want to help. And so over the next number of weeks, we are going to be doing some things to help you to encourage you, to help you, and we use this analogy a lot, to move the needle in your life a little bit, a little bit more. If you don't have a Bible, we want to, have you to, ha- we want to help you have a Bible. If you don't know where to start reading, we want to help you with that. Dan's doing a class starting this Wednesday night. It's a six-week class. You can do six weeks on a Wednesday. Wednesday night, 7 to 8.30, at Two Rivers Coffee, we got a key. Um, Dan, Dan makes crappy coffee, so don't even expect it, okay? So, um, but it's called Scripture Lab. And Dan's gonna help walk through the process of what it looks like to study Scripture in the right way, together as a community. It's really powerful. In fact, we did this with our 10-man table this early this summer, and it was just a great experience. So I wanna encourage you, everybody is welcome to this. And if we just blow the place out, that's fine. This is a six-week thing called Scripture Lab. We've got that happening. And then we've got some other things we're gonna roll out here in the next few weeks to help you dig into this thing called Scripture. And I'm gonna just finish with one last piece. John chapter five, verse 39 and 40. This is Jesus talking. He says this to the Pharisees. You study the Scriptures diligently, Because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. See, what we believe is that all of scripture points towards Jesus. Even the messy stuff, even the hard stuff, even the stuff we don't understand. We, we just keep reading. We keep reading. We keep leaning in. We keep asking the right questions. We keep chewing because we, we, don't believe the, we don't believe in Jesus because of the Bible. We believe in the Bible because of Jesus. And if Jesus has radically changed your heart, radically uh, uh, changed your life, if the words of Jesus are still bouncing around in your head, the fact that God pursues us And this is a fun journey we want to go on with you. Let me pray. God, this morning we are wrestling with all the things in our lives that are problematic with the Bible. We're frustrated by ways people interpret it. We don't know what it means. We're angry about it. It's hard for us to read it. We don't know how to read it. We've written off some parts of it. 
But God, what we know and what we've been taught and what many of us have experienced is that scripture has the power to radically shape us through your spirit. And so God, we're gonna, we're gonna pick it up the courage stick and walk into this new season in the life of our church. And God, we, we ask that you would help us to be shaped, to be changed, to radically change our lives from the inside out because we have chosen to shape our imagination of who you are based on this book. That this book gives us, this, this, this Bible gives us an, an alternative story to all the stories that we've, we've tried to live our lives by. God, would you give us the courage and maybe some of us for the first time to pick up this and to learn of your love for us in amazing new ways. We pray these things in your name.